Good morning, church. So good to be with you. So Easter Sunday is in two weeks, and um, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, I thought we'd look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And while you're turning there, let me just set the scene for you. It is a long and it's been a very difficult week for Jesus. You see, on Monday, Jesus sees the corruption in the temple area. And he overturns the tables of the money changers. And he cries out, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. That was on Monday. Then on Tuesday, the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, they harass Jesus and they question his authority and they say, who gave you authority to do this? That was on Tuesday. It's been a long and hard week for Jesus. Then on Wednesday, Jesus's best friend, one of his best friends, one of his disciples agrees to betray him to his enemies for 30 pieces of silver. That was on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, Jesus has a last meal with his disciples, his best friends. And Jesus watches as Judas gets up from the table. And his heart is broken because he knows that in a few hours, Judas will be back with a band of soldiers to have him arrested. It's been a long and difficult week for Jesus. And this is how Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this morning, as we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, perhaps there are days in our lives when we'll go through long and difficult seasons. And we wonder, what do we do when we enter our own Garden of Gethsemane? And so maybe we can learn a thing or two from Jesus this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in verse 36 of chapter 26 in the book of Matthew this morning. And it says this, this is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Stay here and keep watch. I want to stop here for a bit. I want you to notice something. I've never really noticed this. I've read this many times, but I've never noticed this. In the garden, Jesus actually pursued relationships. Isn't that neat? In the garden, 
Jesus pursued relationships. Jesus drew friends around him in times of trouble. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. What do you do in your most difficult days in life? I know what I do. I tend to withdraw. I tend to alienate myself from others. I tend to shield myself off from people. But this is not what Jesus did. It says Jesus surrounded himself with some of his best friends. Take a look at that passage there. Here's the lesson for us. In times of trouble, don't go into the Garden of Gethsemane alone. This is not the time to withdraw. This is not the time to alienate yourself from others. This is not the time to shield yourself from people. Instead, this is a time to draw people around you, the people of God. This is the time to bring people to accompany you, to be with you, to stay with you. This is not a time to withdraw. In the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, I love this movie, Dorothy is on a journey and she's plopped in the middle of her kind of garden of Gethsemane. And interestingly, along the way, she meets some friends and it's a long and difficult journey and they make that journey together. We are also on a journey. We're on a journey to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there will be days when we will experience long and difficult and troubled times. And in those days, we might experience pain and brokenness and loneliness and hurt and sin and fear and failures and shattered dreams and broken promises. And some of us will try to carry this burden alone. And the Bible says, don't do it. Don't carry this weight alone. In fact, one of the wisest kings that walked the earth, his name is King Solomon. This is what he said. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they should fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, because he has no one to help him up. We need one another. We need one another to weather the storms of life as well as to celebrate the joys of life. And every so often in a new season of life, God often brings a new group of people into our lives. And I feel like that's what is happening in our church. There's a new beginning for many of you, a new 
new freshness in your life. And God is bringing new friends to your life. And I call the, uh, our young people call them our BFFs. And I like to call them my happy few. And I wanted to introduce you to my newest group of happy few. And here they are. This is um, our last rooted class, our first graduating rooted class. We did life together and we began earlier this year and we laughed together, we cried together, we shared meals together, we prayed and served the Lord together. We watched each other get healed. We watched each other when we were broken. We even grew together in the Lord. My life is safe. just as they are. They see hope in me and I see hope in them. They believe in God's best for me and I believe in God's best for them. Do you have a happy few? I encourage you to find a happy few. Perhaps try out the next rooted class. I'll be leading the next rooted class in April on April the 18th and we're going to run for 10 weeks it's going to be hard work it's going to take risk it's going to take, take some time some of you it might you might have to drive a long distance but I promise you you'll never be the same again and I promise you you'll find a happy few in the garden Then secondly in the garden, Jesus persisted in prayer. Jesus persisted in prayer. Listen carefully to what the scripture says in verse 39. It says that Jesus, going a little further, he fell to his face and he cried out, My Father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he went back and he found his disciples fast asleep and he wakes them up and he says, keep watch with me. And then he goes away a second time and he prays again, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he goes back, finds his disciples fast asleep again, wakes them up, encourages them to keep watch. And for a third time, he goes away and he prays yet again, My Father, if it is possible, may you take this cup from me, yet not as I will but as you will. In the garden, Jesus persisted 
in prayer. I've been um, reading this book on prayer. I would highly encourage it. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. My friend Michelle uh, gave me this book a few months ago, and um, I'm just enjoying it. It's simple, but it's uh, very practical, and I think you all will enjoy this book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. In it, he talks about one dimension of prayer. You see that there's a lot of dimensions of prayer. Like, I don't think we could ever comprehend prayer. And so here, he, he talks about this one dimension of prayer, this one facet of prayer, and he uses this definition. It's a wonderful definition. It's this. Prayer equals helplessness. Prayer equals helplessness. I find this to be an excellent definition of prayer. You see, for the average American, we are not serious about prayer because we are not helpless. Think about it. We're smart and educated. We're strong and able. We're affluent. We're self-made. We're self-reliant. Have you ever heard of the term, God helps those who help themselves? That's a term that speaks of self-reliance. Some people think that you find that term in the Bible. It's nowhere found in the Bible. And perhaps a better statement would be this. God helps those who cannot Isn't that what grace is? Prayer is helplessness. And until you are convinced of your helplessness, my guess is that you will not take prayer seriously. Until there's a until you feel helpless to the point of being at the end of your rope, you will not take prayer seriously. As long as there's an ace up your sleeve, as long as you remain confident in your own abilities, as long as you've got it all under the control, you will not take prayer seriously. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, we see people coming to Jesus in their helplessness. In John chapter 2, Jesus and his mother Mary and the disciples, they're at a wedding, a wedding in Cana. And something drastic happens. The wine runs out. In her helplessness, listen to what Mary says when she comes to Jesus. She says this, no more wine. Isn't that a perfect description of prayer? Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. In John chapter 4, 
There's a Samaritan woman that Jesus is engaging in conversation. They're at the well. They're talking about living water. And listen to this Samaritan woman. Her request of Jesus is this. Listen carefully. She says this. She says, please, sir, give me some of this water. Then I'll never thirst again. Isn't that a beautiful description of prayer? Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. Later in John chapter 4, there's this royal official, and his son is ill. And this royal official hears that Jesus is in town. And so he comes to Jesus, and in his helplessness, listen to what he says to this This royal official says to Jesus, he says this, he says, Lord, please come now before my son dies. Isn't that a beautiful picture of prayer? Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. In John chapter 5, there's this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And it's believed that here you receive healing. You see, an angel of the Lord from time to time would stop by and stir the waters in the pool. And the first one into the pool, when the water was stirred, would be healed of their infirmities. Well, there's this man. He's paralyzed. He's been there He's paralyzed and he's been there for a long time. Paralyzed for 38 years. It's obvious that he would never be the first into the pool. Listen to his request of Jesus in his helplessness. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Isn't that a beautiful picture of prayer? Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, they have a brother. His name is Lazarus. And Lazarus is ill. And Mary and Martha, in their helplessness, they send a message to Jesus. Listen to their request of Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Isn't that a perfect picture of prayer? Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is bringing our helplessness to Jesus. This is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. In his brokenness, in his helplessness, he comes before the Father, falls with his face to the ground, and he cries out, My Father, if it is possible, may you take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And until we are convinced of our helplessness, 
convinced of my helplessness. And do you know when I started to take prayer seriously? It was actually very recently. Only about a year ago when God said, plant this church. And then that's when I was convinced of my helplessness. That was when I was convinced that I would need God's help in order to pastor God's people. I want to show you something. This is my prayer walk. Every single one of you are on my prayer walk. And I'm extremely humbled that the Lord would allow me to pastor anyone. And I take my responsibility very seriously. And to be honest with you, there are days when I shake in my boots. There are days when I come to the Lord helpless. And in my helplessness, I cry out to Jesus. I fall on my knees and I pray for each and every single one of you by name. I pray for the Lord's mercy and grace, for the Lord's help and hope and healing. I pray for God's love and God's shalom to overwhelm you. In my helplessness, I fall to my knees and I pray for each of you often. Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. In 2005, I was in Colorado Springs. And they have a, a place there called, interesting name, called Garden of the Gods. And it's there that uh, there's people that actually go rock climbing. I've never seen anyone rock climb. Pretty cool. In Hawaii, we have these plastic rock walls that we kind of try to scale up. But this is the real deal. Check this out. And here's a husband and wife. And I was just amazed. I just sat there for hours. And I was amazed watching as they scaled this mountain. And what you can't see in this photo is that all the way at the very bottom is their teenage daughter. She's struggling to make any progress to climb up that mountain. Show me the next picture. Do you see her? She's right there, right in the middle there. You see her foot? She's almost up the mountain. After a lot of time, a lot of pain, a lot of struggling, she's almost up the mountain. One big problem. There's this huge boulder that she can't get around. And I've wa We were watching her on the bottom of the mountain. About a dozen times she tried to get over this boulder, but she couldn't. She was struggling. She was exhausted. She was tired. She was stuck. She was barely hanging on. And in her helplessness, listen carefully to what she yells at her dad. She says this, Daddy, I'm scared. Listen carefully to 
what her daddy yells back. He says this, it's okay. Don't give up. I got you. Here she is at the top of the mountain. Some of you are going through really hard times in your life right now. And perhaps you're exhausted, you're tired, perhaps you're stuck, you're barely holding on. Maybe there's an overwhelming sense of helplessness. And perhaps your cry to the Lord is this, Abba, Father, I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm restless. I'm angry. I'm depressed. I'm empty. I'm broken. I'm worried. I'm scared. This morning, perhaps your Heavenly Father's response to you is this, okay. Don't give up. I got you. Just look up. Let us pray.